Open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 8. The Holy Spirit is God. And that sounds very simplistic, but it's very helpful if you'll remember that, that it's not a force field or a power or a some sort of neutral attribute of God. He is God. And we don't ever want to fail in, in remembering that. There are three that bear record in heaven. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Right. The Holy Ghost is as much God as the Father is, as much as the Word is. The fact that He's listed third has nothing to do with third in priority or third in importance. It's just that there's no other way in our dimensions to list three things than to put them one, two, three. And they're not distinguished by those numbers at all in the pages of Scripture, except where they have to be listed. In Romans chapter 8, I want to show you that we address Him with personal pronouns. Romans 8, 27, He that searcheth the hearts, that is the God of heaven, knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because He maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. So He... A male singular pronoun refers to the Spirit of God in Romans 8.27. Now let's come over to Revelation chapter 2, which I had the opportunity to preach to you recently. And there, the Holy Spirit is seen under the figurative sign of a candlestick. Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, after listing all the accomplishments of the church at Ephesus, Jesus addressed them by saying, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember therefore from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. Or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent." We love the male singular pronouns in Genesis 3.15 where the seed of the woman is identified as the one that will bruise the serpent's head. And we love it here as well to remember that the Holy Spirit is God. We don't cry Abba Spirit. We cry Abba Father. And it's the way that the three relate to us and we leave that to them as to how they've revealed themselves to us in the Bible. But it's God in the person that inhabits us. The, the one that comes and moves behind the scenes to direct us toward God. But it is yet God and still God and fully God and not just a power or an emanation from God, but God Himself in the way that they've chosen to exhibit themselves one God in the universe. Heavenly Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have access unto Thee, we ask for Your blessing upon the book of the Spirit to encourage us in knowing Him who is the Spirit of God and the doctrine of the Holy Ghost that we might properly understand the power that is available to us to live the victorious lives that we should, the assurance and the faith and the joy and the fruit and the victory that we can have by the power of the Holy Ghost. Have mercy upon us in the few minutes that we have that we might profit thereby. In Jesus' name, Amen. I'm going to trust that in reading John 14 through 16, or the chapters that you chose over the last two Sundays in preparation for our services, you found many good things. Maybe I'll share one or two, and I will. Let's go to John chapter 14, but I will leave that section of my outline abbreviated. John chapter 14. There is available to you a greater measure of joy and peace and love, assurance of your salvation, victory over sin, every 
thing that pertains to life and godliness if we will take it. John chapter 14, verse 21 is one I used in the first service, although I didn't show you the verse. I show it to you now. Verse 21 of John 14. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them. We have his commandments. It's a choice we make daily whether we keep them or not. But the man that does have God's commandments and keep them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me this way, not by your words, but by your deeds, shall be loved of my Father. And I will love him and will manifest myself to him. This is how we can learn more of Christ is keeping his commandments more perfectly. This shows that we love God and God will love us as a result. Now we know that God first loved us, right? From 1 John tells us that we love Him because He first loved us, but this verse tells us that God will love us if we love Him. There is a greater measure of God's love to be communicated to your heart and your spirit if you will obey God and live the holy life that pleases the holy God. He will come closer to us and reveal His love more strongly to us if we are loving Him by obeying His commandments that He's given us, and Jesus will manifest Himself to us. Verse 23 is similar. Jesus answered and said unto Him, let's get 22 so we can understand the question that's being asked. Judas saith unto Him, not Judas Iscariot, Lord, how is it that Thou wilt manifest Thyself unto us and not unto the world. How can we know more about Jesus Christ and the world can't? How will you reveal yourself to us and not to them? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. There is a love that is dispensed by God the Holy Spirit to us and revealed in our hearts that can increase by our love of God. And our love of God is shown by keeping His commandments. This is so fundamentally basic. The more perfectly we obey God, the more the Father reveals His love to us and sheds abroad His love in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. That is stated in Romans 5.5. And they come and abide with us. The Father comes to us and the Son comes to us because he said, Jesus is saying in that first person plural, we will come unto him and make our abode with him. And they do that by the Holy Spirit. Jesus is in heaven. Jesus is walking in this church by his divine nature and by the Spirit of God, the seven spirits that are before the throne of God. We can have a greater expression to our hearts and souls of God's love for us to the degree that we order our lives to please Him. It isn't a mystery. It isn't metaphysical in some meditational way of Roman Catholics or Hindus. There is a rage right now going on in some Christian circles of meditative contemplation of Christ that was invented by nuns and is pushed by the Catholic Church and has crept in to many Baptist churches. And it is to divorce yourself from intelligence regarding Jesus Christ, which is entirely wrong. Meditation in the Bible is always done intelligently based on what is communicated by the written Word. And that's about all I have to say on it right now, but more will be coming. If you find somebody that likes to sit around and meditate on Jesus, they're going to get a spirit that they weren't bargaining for. Because that is not meditation. Meditation is on His specific works and His will and His word as it is expressed in the Bible. It is musing. It is the use of the apparatus of our understanding. We are supposed to pray with our understanding. We pray with the Spirit and we pray with the understanding. 1 Corinthians 14. We sing with the Spirit. We sing with the understanding. The religion of Jesus Christ is intelligent. It does not operate for feelings or by feelings. It's intelligent. We meditate upon Christ. We meditate upon His works. We meditate upon His promises. It is by the exceeding great and precious promises 
which are intellectually conveyed to us by words communicating information by which we partake of the divine nature. It's not open. You, know, you, you ought to read some of their junk. Opening yourself up and emptying yourself for Jesus to enter you. You're going to get another Jesus. You're going to get a devil named Jesus. You don't open yourself up like that. You humble yourself before Scripture and let it feed you intellectually. I said all of that because this is not mysterious. Look at how Jesus made it so simple. Keep my commandments. If you do it, I know you love me. When I know you love me by keeping your commandments and ordering your life to be pleasing to me, my Father and I will come to you and abide with you and I will manifest myself to you. That is not mysterious. Do you know what the problem is? We're stubborn, we're rebellious, we're selfish, and we're lazy. If we would just put those things aside and put Christ and His commandments first, we would get the blessing of the Holy Spirit more. Of course, there's more to be said, but that needs to be said. We will leave John 14 through 16. I want to show you that there is so much hinging on us living a holy life that is the proof of our love for Jesus Christ and of God our Father. I have shared with you this morning Zechariah chapter 4 where God sent the word to Zerubbabel that he could rebuild Jerusalem by the power of the Holy Spirit assisting him. You get spiritual strength by abiding in Christ. And abiding in Christ is being available for the sustenance and nourishment and power of the Holy Spirit flowing through that vine. We are the branches. He is the vine. Branches cannot live without being attached to that vine. We keep attached to the vine by believing on Jesus Christ and keeping His commandments. That's what it means to abide in Christ. Abide in Christ is not going into a room, only getting bread, crusts, and water, staying there for two weeks, fasting and praying. That is not abiding in Christ. Jesus didn't do that. No apostle ever did that. Only Roman Catholic mystics have done that, along with their Hindu counterparts from where they got the concept. It's very serious business I'm talking about right now. You will open yourself up to the devil. We don't need to go in some room like that and start mumbling prayers and repeating mantras. We get our life ordered. We repent of every known sin. We confess it freely. We go and seek Christ in the pages of Scripture. We sing praise to Him. We get with brethren and we do it His way. Which isn't to be locked in some room. It's to be right here in the assembly of His saints. And to have the Word of God preached to us. Jesus is in heaven in His human nature, but His Spirit is in you. That's why we cry, Abba, Father. It is the Spirit's work to reveal Jesus Christ. Look at chapter 15 and verse 26. John 15, 26. This is why these first two things that we want to do better in our church are so closely connected. John 15, 26. But when the Comforter is come, that is the Holy Spirit, He's called a Comforter with a capital C for your comfort, for your strengthening and your hope and your joy and your peace and your assurance. He's a Comforter. He's not a Threatener. Yes, we threaten sometimes. And Paul said, knowing therefore that the terror of the Lord we persuade men, but as soon as you're persuaded and you confess your sins, He is a Comforter. He's the one that sheds abroad the love of God in our hearts. He sheds it abroad in that the light of God's love in our hearts should shine into every nook and cranny of our hearts so that there is no doubt that God loves us. And to the degree that you have that depends on the degree that you are obeying and loving Him yourself. When the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, so we know the identity of the Comforter, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me, and ye shall bear witness of me, and ye shall bear witness, because ye have been with me from the beginning. The Holy Spirit testifies of Jesus Christ. So the two are very closely connected. That's why I made fun of the charismatics and all their talking about the anointing. The anointing. No, the Holy Spirit doesn't move men to talk about the anointing. The Holy Spirit moves men to talk about the Lord Jesus Christ. We go to chapter 16. 
And verse 13, John 16, 13, Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, is come, He will guide you into all truth. For He shall not speak of Himself. For He shall not speak of Himself. For He shall not speak of Himself. All the talk about the Holy Spirit in a charismatic church. The doctrine of the Holy Spirit is, He shall not speak of Himself. Or, there is another spirit in the room. He shall not speak of Himself. But whatsoever He shall hear, that shall He speak, and He will show you things to come. He shall glorify Me. For He shall receive of Mine, and shall show it unto you. He shall glorify Me. Is this in the red writing in your Bible? I have a black letter edition. I'm not sure who's talking right now. Is this Jesus speaking? He shall glorify Me. He shall not glorify the anointing. He shall glorify Me. You know how we can know that the Spirit of God is in us as a church and in us as individuals? We will be glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ. He shall not speak of Himself. Do you think He can remember that clause? He shall not speak of Himself. Okay. It's wonderful to find out what the Bible has to say about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Look at Ephesians chapter 1 with me. Ephesians chapter 1. We want to keep the priority right. The Holy Ghost is to glorify and reveal Jesus Christ, not Himself. As so many today get too caught up in what they think is the Holy Ghost. What they think is an anointing. Ephesians chapter 1. Paul is praying for the church at Ephesus, a church that we know was elect because of the first six verses of the chapter. We know they're regenerate because of the first three verses of chapter 2. And he has more to say about the Holy Spirit in Ephesus than any other epistle. Every chapter. Every chapter of the Ephesians. If you want a little Bible exercise, a little devotional, read the book of Ephesians and look for the Holy Spirit and the the things we're taught about the Holy Spirit in each of the six chapters. But right here in chapter 1, we'll take the second reference. I read the first reference to you in the first service in verses 13 and 14. But now I'm down to Paul's prayer. And Paul was praying for this church. He says, I make mention of you in my prayers, verse 16, now verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of His calling, and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe. And he goes on to describe the power that God exerted to cause us to believe is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. But this spirit of wisdom and revelation, God gives it. God, the Father of Jesus, the Lord of Jesus Christ, and the Father of glory gives it to us that we can know Him. And we get started by being blessed by the Holy Spirit, by the knowledge of Christ. It is learning of Jesus Christ. If a pulpit is faithful in preaching the knowledge of Jesus Christ, as you grow in knowledge, you are given and you receive more of the divine power that that has given to us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue. And as you're given that Spirit, the Spirit gives us more knowledge because the Spirit is to reveal and make Himself manifest to us. When we humble ourselves before God, when we forsake the world fully, when we seek the commandments of God, when we humble ourselves and trust the Lord and ask Him to give us His Holy Spirit while we are obeying, not while we're sinning. While we are obeying, He gives us that Spirit. And then the Spirit gives us more knowledge, and more knowledge results in more Spirit. And it's this wonderful cycle of increasing until we are filled with all the fullness of God. Right. It's, 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 
it is a revelation of Jesus Christ according to the third chapter of this epistle that passeth knowledge. It tells us that in verse 19, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. And we want to get to more of that. I've told you that if you go to, through Ephesians, you can have a nice little Bible study in every chapter. There is mention made of the Holy Spirit. He is the candlestick of a church. He is the light of a church. He's the power of a church. The power's gone off when the Holy Spirit is out of a church. The church at Ephesus was about to lose their power. Power was about to go out. The candlestick was going to go out. They would lose the light that they had. We never want that to happen to us. Lord, save us from ever doing such a thing that we would turn our backs enough on Thee that You would take away the candlestick from our church and relieve us of the Holy Spirit because we would be so undeserving. Help us to be deserving and to beg for Him and to live lives that are worthy of Him to abide and dwell in this temple as long as you leave us here. He's the candlestick, the life, the light, and the vitality and the wisdom of the church. Kingdom righteousness, peace, and joy is by the Holy Ghost. Look at Romans chapter 14, that chapter that we studied recently about Christian liberty, where the warning is given, don't let yourself get too worked up about these matters of Christian liberty and be careful that you maintain what is important. Romans 14 16, let not their, your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's just not ticky-tack rules of men. It is the rules of God. Because it's going to be called righteousness. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink based on your preferences, but righteousness, that's God's preferences, and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Being in a church should result in holy living, a peaceful life, and a joy-filled life. If you're not experiencing those things and knowing them from the inside out by the power of the Holy Ghost, there is unconfessed sin in your life. There is sin not being dealt with in a church if a church is not that way. We go to the next chapter. Chapter 15 and verse 13. I've quoted this verse to you. Now I want you to look at it. It's a powerful verse. Now the God of hope. I, it kills me to see someone that's hopeless. It's terrible. Especially someone that professes Christ. We have all the hope in the universe. Right. A new universe is coming. How's that for hope? Hope is the certain expectation of good events in the future. Amen. Romans fifteen thirteen. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Here, the power of the Holy Ghost is able to fill you with all joy. Now, how much joy is that if it's the Holy Ghost doing the pouring? Fill you with all. Fill you with all peace. Cause you to abound in hope. Because He's the God of hope. But notice, it's the operative person by the power of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost, the one that moved upon the, the face of the waters and brought about creation. That Holy Ghost. Uh, Samson was bouncing along one day and a lion roared at him. And the Holy Ghost came upon him and he grabbed that lion by his jaws and ripped him wide open. It's the power of the Holy Ghost. Creation, regeneration, Samson and a lion, David and Goliath, Peter healing by his shadow, Paul healing by his hankies, whatever, the power of the Holy Ghost. But notice what the power is for in this verse. For your joy, that your joy might be full, 1 John chapter 1, that she might have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Notice who isn't mentioned. Because they're behind the scene. How do we have fellowship with God the Father and fellowship with Jesus Christ? By the Holy Spirit. That your joy might be full. Right. This is how we're supposed to be living. 
And if we obey God in all parts of our lives, and it is not that difficult, His yoke is easy and His burden is light. You just have a stubborn old man that you need to put to death. Throw him in a wood chipper and let the blood fly. You say that's gross. It ought to be gross. Kill your old man. Hit the on switch and throw it in the wood chipper. Lord, forgive us for our foolishness, our distraction with the world, our vulnerability to sin. We, we must be disgusting to Thee. No wonder you use the words grieve and quench relative to the Holy Spirit. Forgive us. Help us. We can and we will do better. He is the Spirit of revelation, even in re- reading your Bible. Do you love Psalm 119, verse 18? It's a good verse to quote to the Lord before you read the Bible in the morning. Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. That's short enough, isn't it? Open thou mine eyes. That's us being operated upon. The Holy Spirit is able to open our eyes so that we're reading the Word of God. We may behold wondrous things. We don't sit there and close our eyes and meditate, Lord, fill me with eternal wisdom. The wisdom of God's been put in print. He's given it to us in writing. I know that some of you may be wondering what I'm driving at. You'll hear more of it in the future because it's disturbing. It's disturbing to think of any Baptist ever going and sitting in a corner and acting like a Catholic monk. It bothers me. And there's a trend toward it. And it's being presented as the more spiritual approach to Christ. It is indeed more spiritual. It is more spiritual than the Bible teaches. And that's dangerous spirituality. Because you're waiting for a spirit. And there are other spirits that are looking around all the time. Does Jesus say they wander all over the place looking for a place to go? And there you are in the corner with the lights turned off. Fill me! Okay. They dive in. And the last state of that man is seven times worse than the first. Jesus never did that. Well, Jesus was filled with the Holy Ghost a little sooner than John the Baptist, and that was pretty early. There's so much that uh, the Holy Spirit does for us, but He is the candlestick of a church. And when that candlestick is gone, the Spirit is gone, it's a corpse. He is the life, the light, the vitality, and the wisdom of the church. Brethren, He is the holy God of heaven. I want you to turn to Isaiah 63. And let's realize that our church wants to have the right attitude and the right action toward the Holy Spirit because to offend Him is to offend a holy God that will not take offense forever. You can resist the Holy Ghost. TULIP. TULIP is the acronym that represents total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and perseverance of the saints of the Calvinists. We disagree with their last two points. We disagree with their fourth point this way. They call it irresistible grace. When they are talking about irresistible grace, they mean that God's grace in conversion is irresistible. We understand God's grace in regeneration is irresistible. Meaning that everyone God wants to regenerate, He does most definitely regenerate. But not everyone is converted, and they especially are not converted to the same degree and the same extent. Because He can be resisted, and I'm about to read it to you. But we do not want as a church, nor do we want as individuals, to resist the Holy Ghost. Watch. Isaiah 63 and verse 10. But they rebelled. Israel, the church, but they rebelled and vexed His Holy Spirit. You know that Solomon said, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. It is frustrating and troublesome. And sometimes we are frustrating and troublesome to God. It is when we grieve Him, we offend Him, we vex Him. We vex God. He's in us. He's in here. We vex Him. You sleep You daydream. You play the hypocrite. 
You're not living the life at home that is expected of you by being a member of this church. You vex Him. This is the church. Egypt didn't know anything about the Holy Ghost. Neither did Philistia. He wasn't there. He was in the church. But they rebelled and vexed His Holy Spirit. Therefore, He was turned to be their enemy and He fought against them. I just want to take a couple of minutes and remind us that this is very serious business that we're talking about. It's not just bouncing through life. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. And thinking that this is a light matter. We will love Jesus. We want to humble ourselves before the Lord Jesus Christ and love Him. We want to speak of Him. But we want to do it in all solemnity and gravity. Realizing the importance of a verse like this. That He can turn to be our enemy and fight against us. That is the last thing that we would want as a church or as individuals. Look at Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5 is the story of Ananias and Sapphira. I want you to notice the terminology of what takes place here. It should warn and frighten every hypocrite that enters this holy house. The church, this assembly today, not the four walls and the ceiling, but this assembly is the habitation of God through the Spirit. Ephesians 2.22, 1 Corinthians 3. This is the temple of the Holy Ghost. The foundation that's been laid by Paul is the Lord Jesus Christ. Let every man take heed how he builds on that. Remember from 1 Corinthians 3? This is the temple of God. You come in here taking it lightly? I'm thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ who knows every thought and intent of your heart and who withdraws or blesses you with the Spirit. He will turn to be your enemy. Notice. Ananias and Sapphira, you know the events of verses 1 through 11. They had a possession, a piece of real estate. We believe they sold it, they brought the price, and laid it at the apostles' feet, but they kept back a part of it and didn't give the whole gift to the Lord. Peter says to Ananias first in verse 3, because Ananias came in. Ananias, why hath Satan... We are dealing in a spiritual warfare. Why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? There's the land. There's the real estate possession. It was real property. Whiles it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? The rich don't have to sell their stuff to give to the poor. That's a real waste of stuff. Listen, if you don't have the rich staying rich, the poor all die. Somebody has to feed them. Whiles it, don't get me off on that subject. That's just an economic subject. Do you notice what Peter is saying here by the Holy Ghost? The rich don't have to sell everything they've got and give it all to the poor. That's communism. That's insanity. It's never worked in the history of the world. We will help anyone in our congregation that has a biblical need and practices biblical righteousness in using what they already have. It's been taught somewhere in triple digits in the 30 years I've been here. Notice, whiles it remained, while it was still your real property, was it not thine own? It was. These are rhetorical questions. And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? You could do whatever you wanted to with it. Ananias? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Notice the connection of 3 and 4. When you conceive something against God in your heart, when you conceive something wrong in your heart, the the apostles had the power and the knowledge to say, the Holy Ghost gave you the idea. I mean, the, the Satan gave you the idea. And so we want to be very careful. That's why we want to rid ourselves of every sin that we can by the power of God. Because we're playing with the devil when we allow ourselves to conceive anything contrary to His Word. Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. Now this is interesting. Who did Ananias lie to? Men. Peter. The apostles. The church. But it says God. It says the Holy Ghost. 
back there in verse 3. You've lied to the Holy Ghost. You haven't lied to men, you've lied to God. Peter's saying the real issue is not that you lied to me. The real issue is that you didn't, you didn't lie to James and John. The real issue is you didn't lie to the church, though you did all three. You really lied to God because we are His representatives and you would come in here into the temple of God before the ministers of God and pretend you're something that you're not? You've lied to the Holy Ghost. What happens when you lie to the Holy Ghost? Does He pat you on the back and say, I'm glad you got the anointing? You drop dead and you're out there in the church cemetery. That's what happened to Ananias. The the young men stood up in verse 6, wound him up, carried him out, dropped him in a hole. About three hours later, in comes Sapphira, not knowing what was done. Peter asks her a, a terrible question. Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much, the amount of the lie that Ananias had given him. And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet. Look at again, verse 9. Why have you agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? The point I'm trying to convey is, hypocrisy is lying against the Holy Ghost. Coming into this house, singing, speaking, talking, and you're not living the life at home, you are lying against the Holy Ghost. You are being a hypocrite. He's going to turn to be your enemy. He isn't going to bless you. And He will tear you. And I don't mean that... I just want to convey the whole truth of the Holy Spirit. If if you vex Him, and hypocrisy vexes Him, and lying is lying to Him, that the fact that we're men in here and there were women in here is irrelevant, like the apostle said. We don't really count. This is the house of God. It's the ministry of God. It's the people of God. And if you pretend you're something that you're not, you are, you are lying to God. And I just wanted to warn you. Look at Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Oh, we don't want the Lord to be our enemy. We don't want Him to fight against us. That's absurd. Lord, save us. Show us anything in our lives that are vexing or grieving Your Holy Spirit. Hebrews 10.29, verse 29, Of how much sore punishment suppose ye? This is sore punishment than under the law of Moses. How sore was it under the law of Moses? It's in verse 28. You died without mercy under two or three witnesses. If two people could say that you had done something wrong, you're dead. Verse 29, Of how much sore punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God? And we say, Amen. To trod underfoot the Lord Jesus Christ, and hath counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing, we say, Amen. And hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. You have been disrespectful and irreverent to the Holy Spirit of God. This particular context is describing those Jews that were converted to Christ and were given the Holy Spirit if they were to go back under Moses and the Old Testament. That's the warning here. They would be worthy of more sore punishment, much sore punishment than uh, the Jews got under the Old Testament. And one of the descriptions is, because they had done despite under the Spirit of grace. If we don't exalt the, the role of the Spirit of God in giving us a spiritual religion and a powerful religion, yes, it all directs itself toward Christ. And that's why Christ is mentioned by two long descriptive statements first, then the Holy Spirit. But let us not neglect that we're doing despite to the Spirit of grace. This is His temple. I'm His representative. The Word of God is His book. How much glory and honor do you give these things in their proper place and to the proper degree? In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 3, and you need not turn there, God said about that generation, I will not always strive with man. He only put up with them for a period of time. And then He judged them and drowned them all. When the Lord left Samson, and you know the Lord left Samson. Remember? Remember? The Lord left Samson. 
And he said, I will arise and go out at other times. He was a shell of his former self because he didn't have the power of the Spirit of God. Lord, teach us these things. God gives the Holy Spirit to those that obey and believe him. To be baptized is to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. It no longer comes with the gift of tongues, so there's this visible demonstration like there was for 40 years. Sometimes God can reverse the order and give the demonstration of the gift before the person even is baptized. That took place in the case of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10. God gave the gift of the Holy Ghost. They spoke in tongues before they were even baptized in order to encourage Peter along to get down the pool and baptize Gentiles, which was hard for him to grasp. But so the Lord just reversed the order. But back in those days, you got a visible, demonstrable gift of the Holy Ghost. We don't get that anymore. We just get His presence. And that's why I like that second verse of the song we sang earlier. I'm not looking for any of those visible demonstrations. I just want the invisible demonstration of taking away the dimness of my heart and the coldness of our hearts. That He would enliven us and quicken us by His Spirit. God gives the Holy Spirit to believers that obey Him. And we want to obey Him. The Holy Ghost is the Comforter after Pentecost. Look at Acts chapter 9 and verse 31. You saw that He was called the Comforter in John 14 and 15. Here in Acts chapter 9, we read about His comforting ministry that extends way past Pentecost and the apostles to us. This is His permanent blessing to have the Holy Spirit. Verse 31 of Acts 9, it was in the preparatory email, then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Churches grow and churches multiply when they're doing these things. They were edified. That means they were being built up in the doctrine of the apostles. They were walking in the fear of the Lord and they were walking in the comfort of the Holy Ghost. And churches grow. That's the kind of growth that we want. There is much more that could be said, but what needs to be said are what can we do to get more of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray for Him. Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. This is God. When we speak of the Holy Spirit, we are speaking of God's presence with us. We are speaking of God's fellowship with us. We are speaking of God working through us, fruit of the Spirit like love and joy and peace and gentleness and goodness. What can make some of us gentle at times? The Holy Spirit can. And we just want more of it so that we're gentle all the time until we need not to be gentle. The Holy Spirit is able to do this by the power of the Holy Ghost. When it says that He's able to fill you with all joy and peace, do you think that's the limit of the power of the Holy Ghost? Or did the Apostle just give us those two as an example in that verse? He's able to give us everything that is considered a fruit of the Spirit in power. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. There's no limit. You can have as much of those things as you can stand, and the Holy Spirit is able to give them to you. The first thing we want to do in getting more of the Holy Spirit in our personal lives, families, and church is to pray for Him. Now, you know this passage probably better from Matthew, but in Matthew the terminology is different, so Luke gives us what we want to see. Luke 11. Jesus is explaining that they as sinful fathers, verse 11, for instance, if a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Of course not. The father will do a better job than giving a son a stone when the son asks for bread. And so the comparison is being made that you know that you would give good gifts to your children. Verse 13, if ye then, being evil... And we are all evil fathers. There's no good father in here in the sense of the word good and evil right here. If ye then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, oh, I like these words, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? So there it is. How much more? When we ask for the Holy Spirit, He's not going to give us a raise on the job. That would really be cheating us. That would be terrible. Some of you, I know we're smiling inside thinking, well, a raise is a pretty good thing, but not compared to the Holy Spirit. That'd be the stone when we're asking for bread. 
That'd be the scorpion when we're asking for an egg. We can pray for the Holy Spirit. We want to do more of that. We will do more of it. And Paul prayed in his various epistles for just this blessing on the churches. But it can be hard for those that are addicted to praying for their carnal needs. We, we want to change the way we pray from, Lord, I have so many physical needs. Please help my sickness. Lord, I need to make more money. Please get me a better job. Lord, I want the flowers to grow prettier out there in my garden. Lord, just all these needs. There's a need that is greater than all of them. Amen. It's right here. If we, if we were to seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit as the chief preeminent goal in our lives to know Christ and to be filled with the fullness of God, if He didn't take care of everything else in our life, we wouldn't care. But He most likely would take care of everything else in our life because we'd be putting His kingdom and His righteousness first. And He says, if you put My kingdom and righteousness first, I'll take care of all these other things. But we, we like to reverse it because we're so important, we think, that we need to pray for all these needs. I know the greatest need I have is more of the Holy Spirit. It's nothing else. All the rest is junk in comparison to that. So let's pray more for him. If Elisha could pray for what he did, a double portion of Elijah's spirit, can we pray for a greater measure of the Holy Spirit and not be turned away? Does the Bible say that when we pray for wisdom, and he is called the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God, does the Bible say when we pray for wisdom, God will not upbraid us? But he will, I want an L word. He will liberally give what we ask for. And look at the words here are M words. How much more? This is exciting. I want the Holy Spirit to be the enemy of our enemies. I want the Holy Spirit to be our friend and God with us, blessing us, in, in us, and abiding with us and dwelling with us. Okay, Ephesians 5. Just give me a few more minutes. Stay with me. This is important. You know, I could, I could invoke the fact that if you want to go home right now and not hear any more about the Holy Spirit, then in some way you're doing despite to the Spirit of grace. And that didn't sound good in the previous passages I showed you. So listen, there's 168 hours in a week. Let's just gird up the loins of our mind for a few more minutes and think about this blessing. God in us. God abiding with us. God revealing Christ to us. God filling our church. God filling us with all joy and peace in believing. God filling us with assurance. Romans 5.5 The love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. If you want to know that God loves you and be wrapped up in the arms of His love, it is the grace that we are in by faith in Romans 5, 1-5. through 5. If you remember from Romans 15, 13 about Him filling us with joy and peace and abounding hope, we only had a role in there by two words. And it was the words, in believing. All we have to do are believe the exceeding great and precious promises that He's given of us and we will partake of the divine nature and divine power will be unleashed in us. And I'm not talking about sowing a seed and reaping a harvest financially. And I'm not talking about healing your aunt. I'm talking about you being filled with joy of the Holy Ghost. Ephesians 5.18 Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. You can have as much of the Spirit as you can contain. And there's no law against it. But we're not supposed to be drunk with wine. Okay, two things I want to get out of this verse. Being filled. It says, be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled. When, you, when, it, when we have the combination of be filled, be makes it an imperative verb to us telling us it is something we do. Filled means we're getting filled, so someone else is filling us so it is a passive voice verb construction that we're passive, God's filling, but we are being filled by a choice. We submit to God, we ask God for it, we obey God, and we confess our sins, and that is what un- releases us to be filled. 
These people had long ago believed the gospel. Long ago, they had been baptized. We are all the way over in chapter 5 for this church. Paul had already prayed numerous prayers for them to have the Holy Spirit, but he's telling them, instead of seeking to spirits, booze is called spirits. Instead of seeking to spirits, and seeking to spirits excessively, to where you end up being drunk, and I'm not preaching getting drunk on the Holy Spirit, because that's another one of their little, you know, when the barking revival gets old, they start the drunken revival. And that, then you get to roll on the floor, and you got to see all the deacons and the deaconesses at one of these churches. They've all got blankets, and they're running around as fast as they can. When some woman gets drunk in the spirit, falls down, flips her legs over her head, and she's in a skirt. So they're running around with these blankets to throw the blankets over these people, and they call that the spirit of God. I call it the spirit of nakedness, and it comes from the devil. It's ridiculous. Being filled with the Spirit. We, we don't need to be drunk on wine. Where is in, in is excess. We understand that wine and strong drink in the Bible are matters of Christian liberty, but that is not where we should be seeking and being drunk and foolish and thinking that that can wash away my, I'm so tired and I'm, I'm just so weary to drunkenness, to the state of drunkenness. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. If we're filled with the Spirit with a capital S, We don't need the Spirit so much with a little s, though they still have their place, because we preach the whole counsel of God. But it says to be filled. Being filled is an imperative thing that you do, but God does the filling, because the B is your responsibility. Be filled. You can quench, you can grieve, you can minimize, you can vex the Spirit by unconfessed sin. You can come before God and come clean. You can tell God how much you love Him and His Son, Jesus Christ. You can reorder your life to be obedient. And you can pray for the Holy Spirit. And all of those are steps to be filled with the Spirit. It is not mystery. It is not sitting in a corner. It's not waiting for a cloud formation. It's not waiting, flipping the Bible and landing on a verse. There it is. Yet had He the residue of the Spirit and say, see, the Lord speaks to me that way. No, it is none of those things. It is confessing sin. It is seeking God's face. It is reading His Word. It is changing your life. It is repenting from sins and confessing them and coming clean before the Lord and asking Him and being subject to Him and Him knowing that you want a closer relationship with Him, seeking His face, drawing nigh to Him. He draws nigh to you. How? God the Father is in heaven. How does He draw nigh to you? The Holy Spirit fills you with His presence. We don't want to abuse spirits. We want more of the Spirit. I've pointed out that it is by faith. It's in believing. In Romans 15, 13, that's your little tiny role in that verse about the God of hope filling you. See, He's the one acting. The God of hope filling you with all joy and peace in believing. That ye may abound in hope By the power of the Holy Ghost. So it's the Holy Ghost. It's God, the God of hope. And the only part we have in there is in believing. It is reading this word and delighting in the promises, the exceeding great and precious promises God has given us that will unleash. I don't want to use that terminology. That will release, that will fill you with the Spirit of God and the divine nature until we are filled with all the fullness of God. You know, you're in Ephesians, look at chapter 4. We went to this verse for the second half earlier today. We want to go to the first half of the verse now. It says, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. God can be grieved. God can be offended. God the Holy Spirit, that is. And as we saw in Isaiah 63.10, the Holy Spirit can be vexed. Vexed. When we are vexed, we are very frustrated and upset. God the Holy Spirit can be vexed. Here, it is God the Holy Spirit can be grieved. How is He grieved? By us staying in sin. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God. Verse 29 is communication coming out of our mouth. Verse 28 is stealing. Instead of working, to have extra to be able to give to others. Verse 26 and 27 are not controlling your anger. Verse 25 is lying. And so He's given us this list of things that we can do that can grieve the Holy Spirit of God, and we don't want to do it. Then He goes on into verses 31 and 32. Let all bitterness, 
and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So in the middle of this, this instruction for us, this is how we need to order our lives right here. How we think, how we speak, how we work, how we manage our money. All these things are right here. This, and if we don't do it God's way, we're grieving His Holy Spirit because He's put in writing for how to, we can have the best life, the more abundant life. And if we don't do it, we're vexing Him, we're grieving Him by this particular verse. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians 5, over here the word is quench. Quench not the Spirit. That sounds like the candlestick. That sounds like a flame. That sounds like a fire. That sounds like light in your life. Light and fire and heat and vitality, but you can quench it. You know, when a campfire is going and you talk toss a bucket of water on it, either the fire goes completely out or it was quenched way down in its brightness and in the heat that it's producing. And we quench. You quench. You reduce. You minimize. You lose the power of the Holy Spirit by having sin in your life. Now notice the context here. It's a little tiny context. I preached through this epistle many years ago. Verse 19 of 1 Thessalonians 5 is one of the shortest verses in the Bible. Quench not the Spirit. Well, is there any context to help us? How about being thankful in verse 18? Do you know that there are people in here that have, that have negative things to say ten times to every positive thing they say? What negative things are there in the world? I haven't noticed any recently. Why? Why aren't you thankful? Do you know what it says here? In everything give thanks. Not in 10% of things. Not in 50% of things. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the Spirit. There by that little contextual connection, it's not being as thankful as we could be. Then look at the next verse. Despise not prophesyings. That's preaching. Don't neglect preaching. Don't resent preaching. Don't get tired of preaching. Endure it for a few minutes. Despise not prophesyings. And there in the middle, quench not the Spirit. So, there are people without as much joy, without as much peace, without as much power for victorious Christian living. Why? Because they've quenched the Spirit. They've tossed water on Him enough to where His power is reduced. Now this is, this is not very personal. He's, he, though here it is, the Spirit, is reduced in the effect in your life. Ephesians 4 was he was offended. Grieve not the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 63.10 was vexed. What we're doing is running through a quick list of what we can do to have more of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We can pray more for him. Luke 11.13, we can pray like Elisha did for a double portion of Elijah's spirit. We can be filled by submitting ourselves and choosing and requesting of God to fill us with his spirit by turning away from drunkenness and any other sin of the flesh to follow Him more perfectly. We can believe all the exceeding great and precious promises. We can avoid grieving Him or quenching Him as we have just looked. We must confess our sins. He is the Holy Spirit. We can restore ourselves to be considered holy by God by a simple confession of our sins. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us That is to wash us clean of all unrighteousness. Do you know what that is? That is being holy again. Do you know how long it takes? A few seconds of sincerity and a broken and a contrite heart before God. And there He is. How can He forgive so easily? Because His ways and thoughts are higher than our ways and thoughts. As high as the heaven is above the earth. Because Jesus died for those sins. All we have to do is confess them and it restores the fellowship and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We need to pray for that spirit power to live victoriously like Joshua read to you from 2 Peter 1.3 according as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. We need to pray for the spirit of revelation. I read it to you. Ephesians 1.17 The spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. This was a church that Paul preached at for two years. Yet Paul writes them and says... 
whenever I make mention of you in my prayers, I am praying that God would give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. After two years of preaching by Paul, you wouldn't think you could handle any more knowledge. But Paul said there's a lot more. He would go on to say in chapter 3 that it was, it was knowledge that passes understanding till we're filled with all the fullness of God. So we need to pray for the spirit of revelation. I gave you a hint. When you open the Bible to read it daily, listen, if you don't read the Bible daily, you're doing despite to the spirit of grace at some level of rejection of Him. He wrote this book. Not the 40 writers. He's the author of the Bible. If we don't read it and love it and rejoice in it, we're offending Him because it's His book. It should be simple to you. He inhabits the church. Us collectively. So we should love the church. This is the habitation of God through the Spirit. In Psalm 122, does it say, They shall prosper that love thee? In Psalm 122, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the workplace and make some coin. Let us go into the house of the Lord. They shall prosper that love thee. It's that's, we want to, this is his temple. Anything we can do for the temple of the Lord. Anything we can do. Some just drag in here in warm foam rubber. Anything we can do for the people of God and the church of God. They shall prosper that love thee. It's His body, so ministers and members must treat it carefully and not lay any wood, hay, or stubble on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Our bodies, your physical body sitting there is the temple of the Holy Ghost, so you need to honor Him by forsaking all fornication or other sins that involve your body. And it's done by perfecting holiness in the fear of God. The Bible is His work, so let's love it for the sake of the Spirit that authored it for us. Preaching the Word is by Him. So love of preaching honors Him as the text I just showed you. And Stephen concluded his sermon by saying, Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. How did they do it? They rebelled against His prophets. So we should love the preaching of His Word. Because if it wasn't for the preaching of His Word, we wouldn't know about the Lord Jesus Christ. And the preaching of His Word is by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us seek to be in the Spirit on the Lord's day. In Revelation 1.10, it tells us that John, though he was exiled on the Isle of Patmos, was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. If there's ever a time that we prepare, let's do it on Saturday nights to be ready on the Lord's day to be in His house and to be in the Spirit. And so for 15 years, we have tried to prepare carefully and extensively on Saturday nights. When you sin, confess and turn from it, begging God to leave His Spirit. When David confessed in Psalm 51, he said, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me, knowing that that could be a consequence and a cost of his sin with Bathsheba. So we should confess our sins and ask for God not to take His Spirit from us. If He assists praying with groanings which cannot be uttered and praying for us according to the will of God, Romans eight twenty six and 27, and if praying should be done in the Holy Ghost, Ephesians six eighteen and Jude 20, if, if, that's a lot of mention of the Holy Spirit in prayer, right. you should love prayer. Prayer is obviously the exercise of the Holy Ghost. We want to increase in prayer. We are increasing in prayer. I hope you're increasing in prayer. Being Christ-centered and Spirit-filled are so closely related that they require each other. So that if we're seeking the one, we're going to be doing the other as well. Or we're going to remember that the Holy Spirit, since He is to bear witness of Christ, we want our lives to be as Christ-centered as possible. The more we speak and glorify Jesus Christ, the less grieved and vexed the Holy Spirit will be with us. I know that, is this sounding like a spiritual overload to you? You know what? I haven't said anything to you that every decent Christian is already doing. That's what's really painful. This isn't overload. This is underload. This is like, hello? Do you have something difficult for us, Lord? 
since it's the Holy Spirit, since it's your presence in us, with us, and your power to give us everything that pertains to life and godliness, do uh, you have something hard for us to do? And there isn't anything hard. This is what every Christian ought to be doing every day. We must hate the flesh by mortifying it and choosing to walk in the Spirit by bearing His fruit and mortifying the flesh, realizing the flesh and the things that are listed of the flesh in Galatians 5 and the fruit of the Spirit listed in Galatians 5 are opposites. Every day you make a choice. I'm going to put off anger. I'm going to put on gentleness. Every day. That's walking in the Spirit. It's not mystical. It's just choosing. This is what the Spirit wants me to walk. How, how the Spirit wants me to walk. That uh, was over here in uh, gentleness, and the flesh was over here in anger. And there's the you, get, you should read Galatians five fifteen through twenty five. Obviously, I'm out of time, but Galatians five fifteen through twenty five list the works of the flesh, and it's a pretty long list. And it works lists the fruit of the Spirit, and it's a pretty long list of nine. These two are the opposite to each other, so that you cannot do what you would, but if you will honor the Spirit. And choose those, choose the things of the Spirit against the flesh that is walking in the Spirit. And the Spirit will fill you with the strength, the joy, and the peace of being a child of God. We want to avoid any hypocrisy because I hope that you saw the hypocrisy of Ananias and Sapphira was certainly condemned in strong terms by our brother Peter. Two things that we can do better. Emphasize in the Lord Jesus Christ more. It's not going to be a huge change. Just refocusing and make sure that Jesus Christ is the person of our church and the center of our church and, and the, the end all of our church and that we glorify Him in word and deed and in our assemblies and that we pray, seek, and live and obey and confess sins and humble ourselves for greater filling of the Holy Spirit individually, in our families, and in this church for the greater glory of God and our prophet. These things can change us. You have never known the extent of being filled with all the fullness of God. Neither have I. It is inexhaustible. When we think that we've achieved, we would with Paul say, I have not yet apprehended that for which I was apprehended. There is an inexhaustible supply of spiritual graces, spiritual power, spiritual assurance, spiritual victory, confidence, knowledge, and wisdom that is available for those that prioritize their lives to love the Lord Jesus Christ, conform their lives to His Word, confess their sins, embrace the things that the Spirit has given us, church, ministry, Word, embrace those things. The future is indeed bright by the light of His candlestick. Amen. Amen.